The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How do you view your own success? Are you leading with compassion or are you considered ruthless? There is plenty of room for both types of leaders, but the best way to lead successfully is to balance boldness and integrity, using kindness and compassion to earn respect. Combine this with a go-getter, visionary, and aggressive drive to stay competitive. Welcome to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks. We'll use the ideas heard today and in this series to help you use every advantage to achieve the best end result. Now, here's your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Welcome to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I am your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and I'm delighted that you've been able to join us today. Now, today's show is actually a continuation of a three-part series entitled 10 Lessons to Coach Yourself and Others to Peak Performance. Now, we've had a lot of fun with this segment, and it's so important to really practice these tools, these modules, and incorporate them in your everyday as well as your business life. Now, for a quick refresher, let's do this. Let's review the first six chapters that we've already gone over. And this comes out of a book that Brian Clemmer wrote for Clemmer and Associates entitled, When Good Intentions Run Smack into Reality. And so the first chapter that we talked about quite extensively was that around fact meaning. In other words, facts occur out there in life every single day. How we adopt the meaning and how we place those meanings in our lives are so important into whether or not we're moving forward with our growth or whether or not we're moving backward in our growth. On chapter two, we talked about how problems really are our best friends. Now, that's not coming to from a place of inviting problems into our life. But remember, when you're able to solve little problems, medium problems, as well as big problems, you are able to provide some extraordinary solutions. Now... Number three, one of my favorites, is how you turn ordinary into extraordinary. And this is around agreements and keeping your agreement, whether they're big agreements or little agreements. In chapter four, we talked about listening, different ways of listening, and how the the normal way of listening in our culture is an agree with listening where you already know the answer or a disagree with listening. You're so um, fired up around disagreeing that you're really not listening. What we focused on is a be with listening. And then the ultimate sales formula we covered off on chapter four, and that's around not providing a solution to those in life first Really, it's about providing and searching out what it is that your client or your prospect wants and then help them discover. And you notice I said help them discover the problem. 
you cannot discover the problem for them. They're going to need to follow that path on their own and come up to their own discovery around the problem. Once they've identified the problem, if your solution fits, then you're in the perfect opportunity to provide your solution. If it doesn't, then you'll do the ethical thing and go ahead and provide the proper solution. And in number six, we talked about being hungry for feedback. Feedback is nothing more than giving you a little bit of a litmus test around the way you're showing up in the world. Feedback may be true, it may not be true, but it's an opportunity for you to have mentorship out in the world. Now we're going to focus on chapter seven today. And chapter seven is in regard to change. And it's whether or not you adopt change as your best friend. And here's why I'm going to encourage you to adopt change as your best friend. The question might be, do you have to change? Well, I think that's a pretty good question. No, you don't have to. But the truth is that everything around you is going to be changing, whether you decide to change or not. And if you're unwilling to change, you may be stepping into a victim mentality versus a positioning of victor. And that's really the difference. If you're not open to change, you're just waiting for other things to happen to you. Now, One of the practices I've been looking at often lately is my resistance to change. Why am I showing up in resistance to certain areas in my life? And resistance to change shows up in a lot of different ways, but I'm going to go over some common ways where resistance shows up to, resistance to change shows up. And you might ask yourself the question, do I have some extra fatigue going on in my life? Or is there apathy or, or possibly some stress that is more than normal? Are you feeling like you're out of control? If any of these are kind of reoccurring on a constant basis in your life, then this is really a chapter to pay attention to because those are some signs that you're resisting change. And we all know change isn't going to go away. Um, in fact, I think in this culture, in this world, change is happening so rapidly. Uh, it's kind of, you're either going to get on the train or you're going to be left at the station. And what we're talking about here is how to navigate the world of change and dealing with it successfully. I mean, let's think about all the things that have changed in our life. Um, I, I remember my first cell phone. I don't know if you remember yours, but mine was huge, um, almost the size of what a a regular laptop computer is these days. And that has changed now where I can hold it, obviously, in the palm of my hand and do so much more technically than my original laptop was able able to do. Um, Think about how important email is in our business life. When when I started out uh, in business, I was just finishing off the cusp of typewriters and carbon copy time. Now I'm dating myself, but now there's so much change. And sometimes I forget how the technology is able to solve so many of my problems today. And then we think about the world blueprint. We have countries that exist today that didn't exist 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. And then we have countries that don't exist 
anymore by name. Their land is there, but the name is different. So it's really pretty inconceivable to think how much change has really occurred. And when you look around, it's all around us from growth of companies, from cutbacks of companies. It's everywhere. So how do we get our mind, our head, ourselves around this thing called change? Well, the key here is managing the change. That's the opposite of resisting the change. So managing the change really is about adaptation and integrating change as part of your life. I was talking to my coach um, on Friday, and I was just going over a couple of areas where resistance is showing up in my life. And he said, you know, Kathy, when you feel that, when that occurs, I want you to just incorporate the beingness of a duck. Just let that go right off your back, like water off a duck's back. And that's a really good example of me um, knowing and navigating this resistance to change because there's really no way to stop it. We're not going to stop the waves in the ocean. Therefore, you know, we're just not going to stop change in our life. So let's see how we want to show up to change. And I want to share with you a story and it's going to be um, certainly not, um, let's say, historically, perfectly, accurately portrayed in conversation. But I want to share with you a story around Socrates and his mentor, Plato. Because one day, as Socrates was mentoring, he told Plato, I should say Plato was the mentee, um, there was mentorship that was going on between the two. And Socrates told Plato that everything in life goes through three stage, stages. There's the growth stage, the stability stage, and the decay stage. And so what he was explaining to Plato is that during that growth stage, everything was expanding. It was growing exponentially. And during that stability stage, he was contending that nothing was changing at all. Nothing stayed the same. And then, of course, during the decay stage, things were getting smaller. Or they were eroding. They were maybe reverting back to their old condition, their original condition prior to growth. And so after some thought, Plato, after giving a lot of thought to Socrates' statement, he was developing a completely different viewpoint. Plato determined that stability as just an overall concept of, of life wasn't occurring just as Socrates said. What he believed that the worth the world actually wasn't in the process that it was actually in a process of either growing or decaying, that there was no stability. There was nothing in between growth or stability. And so if you think of this, I want you to visualize. In Socrates' example, you had an arrow going up, and then it would plateau off at stability, and then decay would be a downward hill. And that's just a flat-top mountain is what we're talking about. And then as Plato was describing it, it looked a little bit more, if you've ever seen the arch in St. Louis, it looks a lot like an arch in St. Louis. There's a high spike growth curving around and going straight down into decay. And so what Plato was able to do is come back and say, there's no such thing as stability. 
Now, there's different rates of growth. There's fast growth. There's slow growth. There's certainly slow decay and fast decay. But there's no such thing as stability. So my question to you is, why do so many people believe that there is such a thing as stability? I've heard it said many times, oh, I just need to get this handled until it it gets stabilized. There's a belief out there that stability actually exists. I mean, it's a word in our culture. So I would contend, and this is straight out of Brian Clemmer's book, stability doesn't imply, well, what it really does imply is nothing more than safety or comfort. That's why we're gravitating towards stability. It's an illusion of safety for us. It's an illusion of comfort for us. So with that in mind, if there truly is no stability, where should our focus be placed? So instead of trying to reach stability, which we would perceive as comfort, the more powerful thing or the more meaningful goal here, what if we focused on the growth process? Just focusing on the growth. That means what? We're always improving. We're improving on absolutely everything we're trying to take in. So now, if you decide that Plato's right, then what you're able to do Let's say you're, you're in a relationship with a significant other. You're simply able to ask yourself, is that relationship growing or is it decaying? Is the relationship with my team growing or decaying? Is the relationship with my boss growing or decaying? And you can take this out to the physical realm. Is my physical health growing or decaying? And what is the bottom line on my career? Is it growing or decaying? So it doesn't really take much to realize that every situation is truly growing or decaying. And stability is just impossible. So what are our choices here? And that's the key word. If you choose to take on these situations, you have an opportunity to step into growth in every single situation. Now, if you haven't read this this book, I'd highly recommend it. And I think this book drives the example home that we're talking about very clearly. And that's Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And that book it characterizes his personal journey when he was imprisoned in a Nazi, Nazi concentration camp. And what he found is that in the midst of really the most horrific human situations, he was at choice. It didn't mean that it was easy, but it also meant for him because he chose into his belief systems He was able to choose and navigate those horrific times. So have you ever noticed, for instance, your body's response to fear and how that would compare to excitement? And I bring that up because um, let's use an example of roller coaster riding. Some people love roller coaster riding and they feel that it's the most exciting thing that they could do. Other people fear it. So what happens to the body 
when you're riding a roller coaster. It doesn't matter if you're coming from a place of fear or excitement. Either way, your heart's racing and you're breathing faster and maybe your palms get sweaty. The only difference here, and this is the point I'm trying to drive home, the only difference here is how you view what's happening to you, right? So fear's a normal response to change. And if fear is always based on that negative response, then guess what? Your dominating viewpoint to change is always going to be negative. And that's what we're looking to switch up. We're looking to help support your viewpoint of change as a positive life change. It's going to be just as exciting. The anticipation is going to be there. But the end result is that you're going to have a bigger part of your life to play. So that's one question that you want to ask yourself. What's my disposition regarding fear being a choice? And this goes back to the very first chapter we talked about regarding fact meaning. If you always have a choice around change being fearful or exciting, why wouldn't you step into the meaning of exciting every single time? That's certainly exciting. So let's talk about, number one, choosing fear. If your response to change is one of fear, then you'll either try to attack it or you'll avoid it. And so really do some self-checking in. Am I attacking the fear or am I avoiding it? So change is going to take place either way. It doesn't matter whether you attack it or avoid it. Now, if you choose excitement, it can turn into an opportunity to progress. That's a completely different come from now, isn't it? So this is almost like a reverse engineering process. When we start thinking about what are the consequences that we want at the end, what are the results And we believe that we can actually navigate and choose whether we're victor or victim, or we can choose whether or not we're going to win in this or we're going to lose in this. Then we can seize that opportunity for change and navigate that toward our life and how we run our business. Are we viewing change as an opportunity? Now, As we close out on this chapter of change, what I want to talk about, too, are some areas where we can prepare for change. If we already agree that it's inevitable, I want to share with you four tips that will help you navigate change as, let's just say, some waters that are not always full of waterfalls. So tip number one, what if you were going to create areas in your life that consists of very slow change, all right? So let me give you an example, and I love this example, and I look to incorporate this in my household as much as possible. I work in a field with, with Clemmer and Associates where change is, is moving and running on a very fast-paced basis. What we're able to do with our corporate clients and help them navigate the process and create results that they're able and wanting to create is a large amount of change in a very short period of time. For that reason, 
I work and am completely committed to having a household, my personal space, as one that doesn't have a lot of rapid change. So I'm able to have just a slower pace of life in my personal space. So that's an area where I've purposely created an area of my life that doesn't change much. And then tip number two is practice flexibility. Now, you can bite this off in small chunks by practicing flexibility of doing things that you would not do normally. Let me give you an example. If you tend to show up in a business meeting and be the one that heads up the meeting, contributes the most, talks the most, leads the most, what you might want to do is flex your muscle a little bit and let others lead the way. If you normally would be the one talking during the meeting, meeting, go ahead and do something opposite. Just go with the flow of that meeting. Practice flexibility. Now, obviously, you don't want to do this at a time where it's critical for your input to be there. It could also be as simple as uh, when it's time to go out to lunch and the group says, hey, where do you want to go to lunch? And whatever you say is where everybody ends up. Let someone else choose where we're going to go to lunch today. Tip number three, develop The art of surrender. Now, this is one that I struggle with from time to time. But instead of automatically reacting to whatever is coming up with you in life and doing that in a way of resistance, just practice that art of surrender. Surrender during those appropriate times where it's not going to be a violation of your principles, though, and Just make sure that when you're, let's say, showing up less dominant, make sure that that surrendering of things around you isn't going to be detrimental to you or anyone else in the long term. And then number four, when you think about it, almost without any exception, the strong leaders and the examples in our world, we always hear about having a spiritual practice. And having some sort of spiritual practice, whatever would work for you, is an opportunity for you to be grounded and centered in this world. So when we look to evaluate change, what we're really talking about is if you think of yourself like a a boat, a new boat, we don't need to go out and get a new boat. Maybe we just need to adjust the sails right? You don't have to turn yourself in for a, for a different model. Just some minor adjustments could make all the difference in the world. So here's a caveat and here's something to really think about. Anytime you're navigating this world of change, you must always ask yourself, am I being asked to change my principles or my strategy? Right? Because if you're looking to change strategy, what you're actually talking about is riding a wave differently, getting off of that wave before it crashes. Now, if you're being challenged on your fundamental principles from a, a moral standpoint of view or from a ethical standpoint of view, then that's where you say, I'm out. This change isn't for me. So make sure that you understand the difference very clearly within yourself, the difference between strategy and principle. 
So in this chapter, what I want to leave you with is actually quite a well-known story that is talked about in this particular field around change. And so the question to you is, are you more like a carrot, an egg, or coffee? Now, let me explain the metaphor of what each one of these represent. Let's consider that we're going to add boiling water to each of these, all right? So adding the boiling water obviously represents the change that you're ready to embark in. The carrot represents you, the egg represents you, and the coffee represents you. So let's think about it. What happens when you add boiling water to a carrot? You start out with a hard carrot, and you end up with a very squishy vegetable at the end. So when change enters your life, and you start getting squeezed with the change, What happens to you? Are you behaving like a carrot? Next, if we add boiling water to an egg, what happens then? Well, after some time, they're still soft on the inside, but they turn hard on the outside. So is that how you're navigating change, building up this hard outer shell, and you're still soft on the inside, but the world just doesn't know that? Let's talk about coffee. When coffee, or when boiling water is added to coffee, what happens? Guess what? That water changes completely. So this is where you want to ask yourself, what are the challenges or the changes that I've been experiencing around my career, around my job, family, health? What are those changes and how am I responding to the boiling water in my life? Yeah. I agree. Some people, they act like carrots. And boy, they act all tough. But when it gets down to it, they become pretty squishy at the end. And they don't stand up for themselves. And they don't stand up for others. And then, of course, with the eggs, when they confront a challenge, it becomes just really difficult to work with them because their shell is so hard on the outside. And then, of course, the coffee. When change and challenges come your way and you respond like coffee, you actually change the situation. You're riding that wave and you're finding the opportunity in the change to make it work for you. So that closes our chapter out on change. Stay with us for the next segment, which we'll be talking about the secret path to better results. And that's a one-word pathway called context. You've been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with your host, Kathy Fairbanks. Stay tuned for more. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. 
Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at CompassionateSamuraiShow.com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I'm your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and today we have been covering off on the rest of the lessons, the 10 lessons on how to coach yourself and others to peak performance. So right now we are on lesson number eight. Thanks for tuning in. And what we're talking about is the secret path to better results. So what in the world could this secret be? And it's really about setting the context. And I must tell you, before I started taking my leadership courses with Clemmer and Associates, I didn't pay any attention, really had no relationship with the word context. Now, of course, I knew what context meant, but I didn't know how to apply it in my world. And I didn't know how powerful that word was. So let's go over, I'm going to call this just context 101. So let's go over that because every day we're experiencing results. We're experiencing results, whether they're positive or whether they're negative. And that's the environment that we've created. So what's specific to that environment is the fact that we're giving birth to results and producing results, whether we had the clear foresight that that's what we're doing. And that's because you can't experience results that are in conflict with your environment. Your environment actually lines up perfectly with your results. Now, I'm not saying your results are perfect. I'm saying that the environment is what aligns up with your actual results. Brian Clemmer used to always say, results often harsh, but always fair. So when we hear someone say, well, that wasn't my intention. We actually have an entire module, an exercise that really unwraps one's true intentions and their relationship around 
results. And we actually call that a million-dollar formula because once you're able to practice that formula in seminar and take it out there to the real world, we have had our students producing enormous results in their life, many of which have created well over millions and millions of dollars based upon this formula alone. And I've used the formula myself. So that's not what today's topic is, though. So let me stay on topic and talk about what I mean by context. So we know context is around the environment. It's, it's what surrounds something. And if you take it out of context, you've heard the phrase, well, that was taken out of context. What they're really saying is you've taken the meaning, you've taken the content, and you've changed something, right? So let's just talk about a jar of jelly beans. That's a simple example. It's a commonplace example. What does the jar represent? Well, the jar represents the content and the jelly, I'm sorry, the context. And then, of course, the jelly beans inside represent the content. The jelly beans are what's inside. The jar is obviously the vessel, the context in which those jelly beans are being held. They're not being held in a baggie. They're not being held in a hat. They're being held in the context of a jar. So if we change the context, let's say from a clean jar to a dirty garbage can, then I've changed the jelly beans and I've changed them from going from edible to inedible. So by changing the context, the jelly beans changed, at least from a perceptual basis. So have you ever been in a group, let's say, of people, and you've asked them to share something Let's say you've been asked to share something that you didn't want to reveal. Maybe it was, you know, a little embarrassing or something that was maybe a little too per- personal. I don't know. So from your perspective, maybe you even think they had no right to know and you didn't really feel comfortable revealing that yourself. So your response is normal, right? But if several other people and leaders in a group start sharing things that can be a little uncomfortable in the group, and it's never been done before, and I had this happen to me in a business meeting several years ago, the meeting was designed to invite people to step out of their comfort zone. And all of a sudden, people in the room started sharing different aspects of their life that seemed and meant a great deal of importance to them. Well, all of a sudden, the context of that meeting had changed rapidly. It became a very safe place to start sharing, an environment of sharing and trust, and people felt comfortable sharing what they hadn't felt comfortable before. So a completely new con text had been experienced. So the reason I'm talking about this today is as a leader, as a manager, as an entrepreneur, it's so important to set the context to match the results you're looking to get. So if we're looking to do that, then you intentionally 
don't want to set a context that by default will have people's actions and attitudes and results, we want to make sure that they're coming from the proper context. And to make that happen, step one is to make sure that we're identifying the result that we want. If we're looking for growth and prosperity, let's say better health, make sure that we're setting that context. And then also, step two, we want to make sure that we're identifying the context and the pieces of that context. And then step three, we want to make sure that we're rating the current context that's going on. For instance, if you're looking for more growth, start making a list or make a full list of all the things that are current in your particular environment today around holding the context of growth. And maybe... Maybe it's around giving or self-control or abundance um, or opportunity or boldness. And what I'd like, or possibly long-term thinking too, what I'd like for you to do is on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lightest, on a scale of 1 to 10, go ahead and rank out how you are doing in holding the context for all those areas of growth for you. And then whatever would have the lowest number, those are clearly the ones that you're not currently getting the results that you want. And those are the areas of context that you would want to focus on to set up your improvement. And then step four, you want to make sure that you get feedback around your context. Go to people who understand your mission and make sure that they see what you're doing is in alignment with that same context that you want to set. And then, of course, is about take action. One of the things that I heard this week, and I love this phrase, and I know the book Lean In is very popular and it's a beautifully written book, but I want to suggest, and this is what I heard suggested to me, don't lean in step in, take action, move, make sure that you're adding to the context and adding and removing anything that's out of the context or the environment that you want. And make sure that as you grow, the entire environment grows with you. And then, of course, you want to always be taking personal and professional action. And if you're waiting for something, if you're waiting for somebody to grab your hand, that just tells you alone you are not taking action. You've been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. I'm your host, Kathy Fairbanks, and I invite you to stay tuned for our very last segment. We will be talking about whether or not you fall into the role of victim, persecutor, or rescuer, and we'll be closing out these 10 lessons shortly. Stay tuned for more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. are listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. To reach Kathy Fairbanks or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, the email address is kathy at compassionatesamuraishow.com. Now, back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour. Welcome back to the Compassionate Samurai Business Show. We are at the home stretch, and so we are going to cover off on lessons nine and 10, which are lessons to coach yourself and others to peak performance. Now, this next lesson, oh my gosh, sometimes I feel like I'm in the spin cycle of my own life. And what we're talking about here is whether or not we're playing the victim, persecutor, or rescuer game. And so we want to take a look at this. If we're the victim in any particular story of our life, business or anything like that, what we're talking about is some sort of injustice. And we're playing that role of something has been done to me improperly. And then the persecutor role would heap on the abuse, right? Make life miserable. And then that rescuer role tries to solve the problem for the victim. Now, in this game, unfortunately, once you enter the game, you're trapped into playing one of these roles. So I'm talking about this, and it might step on a few of her toes, but I'm talking about it because it's an easy role to fall into. My background is one of customer service. That's how I started my business career, was that in customer service. And so that put me in the role of rescuer commonly. That was my role. I was the fix-it person. And so that role, while it served me very well with clients, I also had to teach my clients how to find their answers if they were capable of doing so. When you're eight to five, obviously, I'm not going to be around 24-7 to help the client solve their problems. So, um, I was naturally set up to be in the rescuer mode. And one of the things that helped me tremendously when I took my coursework at Clemmer and Associates was to set back and really figure out how to stay out of this victim, persecutor, and rescuer role. So 
Let's just take a simple example. Um, we'll take it out into the personal space for a second because it'll be an easy example. So let's say, um, let's just use a, an example of husband and wife. And you're getting ready to go somewhere. And um, maybe I say to my husband, um, gosh, I'm looking in my closet and I just don't have anything to wear. Now, that sounds a little bit like a victim statement. And actually, I think I have said that to my husband before. And um, he looks back at me and let's say he steps into a rescuer role. Well, his comment might be something like, well, honey, you know, why don't you wear that nice blue outfit, right? Why don't you wear the blue outfit? Well, I might respond, and I know this sounds very simplistic, but I might respond as a victim where I really don't want someone to solve my problems, even though it's as if that's what I ask for. So I might actually step, snap back at him and say, are you kidding me? I wore that blue outfit yesterday. Didn't you notice? And now my husband then steps into the victim role and says, gosh, I was just giving you some advice. I thought that's what you really wanted. Why are you picking on me? And then I step into the rescuer role and I say, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You were just trying to help. And then he jumps into the persecutor row and says, hey, stop patronizing me. I don't need you to say it's okay. I still think you should wear the blue outfit. Now, if I haven't confused you enough right now, just think of it. When you're in the middle of it and it looks like just a triangle that never ends, victim, persecutor, rescuer, the game goes on and on and on. So if we take this into a, a business setting, it can go on um, in so many different areas. It can go on when you're talking about project de deadlines. I'm sure people's names and faces are flashing in your mind at all times where you realize, holy smokes, I found myself in the victim persecutor rescue game. Or let's say it's a landlord tenant situation. That could happen quite easily. Let's say it has to do with um, design and fabrication and everything that goes into taking a product to market. There can be a lot of finger pointing and a lot of hurt feelings. And so what I'm encouraging you to do is first be aware that that trap out there even exists and then Let's avoid the trap. Let's be able to put our head on the pillow at night knowing that we successfully avoided the trap. So the only way out of this game is for someone to choose to be responsible and cause the other person to be responsible as well. And that's by invitation. It's like by invitation, only a party. You can't make the other person be responsible, but you can set the path for them to choose into responsibility. So when you see this game being played from any role at all, you want to consciously avoid stepping in to any of those remainder roles that are open. Choose to be responsible. And again, this might be where the phrase results, often harsh, always fair, step into play. And coming from a viewpoint of responsible, just keep in mind that that's where 
you are at cause for your own experience out of choice or the choices that you've made. Now, I'm not saying you're to blame. I'm not saying you're at fault. I'm just saying that you're at cause for your experience, right? So in other words, you don't want to solve other people's problems by stepping into the rescuer role because what you're doing there, obviously, is holding them incapable of solving their own problems. And I see this in seminar from time to time. Um, let's say one of our facilitators who, by the way, are just amazing world-class facilitators. I've never experienced such facilitation in my professional life until I was exposed to the seminar work at Clemmer and Associates. It's just at a deeper level, a holistic level that takes everything about how we're wired as human beings and works with you at the level and the point of where you're at. So we don't want to step in and solve the problems for you because guess what? Our facilitator is not going to jump in your little backpack or your little purse and go out there and live your life in the real world with you. And so, of course, we want to set up all of our students, all of our corporate clients to be able to set up and solve their own problems. So we don't want to step into that rescuer role. And we certainly don't want to play a victim role. That's not a pretty look on anybody. Now, I'm not saying that people have not been victimized. There's certainly a lot of victimization that goes on in this world. And I'm not going to talk on that subject today of being victimized because that's a, we could probably take a 24 hour show and make that happen. But we don't want to play the victim role because that keeps us stuck in life, obviously. So we also don't want to play that persecutor role and push people around as a bully. That's just not a pretty look on any of this at all. So, this doesn't excuse anybody and invite them to be cold and uncaring. That's not what I'm talking about here. In other words, you don't want to ignore the issue. So you need to be caring enough about people, believe in others, and hold them capable of sol- solving their own problem, and support them in solving their own problem. Hold them accountable to solve the problem themselves. And I think one of the biggest lessons where we have an opportunity to learn that early is in the role of parenting or in the role of teaching or in the role of coaching. And quite honestly, management out there in the business role, we're a coach. We're a coach to our team. We're a coach to our employees. Um, right now, there's a, a lovely lady inside of our company who has stepped up into a role as a regional director. And um, she's doing a phenomenal job. And the way that I work with her and that I coach her, because she's shadowing some behavior from me for her geography growth, um, the best way that I have found to connect with her is to ask her the question, what would you do in this case? How would you solve this problem? 
Because if I told her how to solve the problem, that's not growth in her arena. She's just checking something off of the checklist in training. When I'm asking her the questions of how would you deliver it this way? How would you solve this opportunity or this problem? She always has a brilliant answer. And in many cases, doing it much better than I would. Now, why would that be? I'm getting off on a tangent here. Why would that be? Well, I'm talking about a fresh eyes, fresh eyes and a fresh mind. And I've worked in that particular geography for about seven years. I have my systems down. I have the way that I do it, right? And my systems might not be the perfect systems for her. She's going to need to tweak them. But what I love about her approach is she brings fresh eyes, beginner's mind to this project. And so what I know is when she's fully trained up, she will be able to take that baton and run with it much better than I ever was because my growth has been imparted to her and she will do the same for others. So got off on a tangent there. But most often what I'm talking about is in this game of victor, persecutor, rescuer, somebody always has to play the unpopular role. And we want to stay away from that. When your teammates are coming to you and they're saying, we don't have an opportunity to continue on because of the budget scenario, we've got to fix that. We never want to step into that game. So just don't do it. Now, as we close the show today, what I want to talk to you a little bit is about finding the real you. And how do you find the real you? Because remember, you're not your behavior, you're not your thinking, and you're not your feelings. You're a combination of everything in every walk in life. And this goes back to fact meaning. You have facts in your life, and you get to create the stories that serve you and move you forward around fact meaning. So finding the real you is that lifelong conquest, that lifelong quest that's a worthy journey. You have been listening to the Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with your host, Kathy Fairbanks. If you'd like to learn more about the workshops that Clemmer and Associates offered, feel free to go to www.clemmer.com and Clemmer is K-L-E-M-M-E-R.com. Or you can reach out to the team at the office at 800-577-5447. Until next week, knock them alive. you for tuning into our show you can hear the compassionate samurai business hour live every thursday at 4 p.m eastern time 1 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel until next week's show be sure to take action and create your own success Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 